Exodus chapter 2, verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. That was Jethro. And Jethro gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. This was in marriage. Here's verse 22. And she bare him a son. Moses called his name Gershom. For he said the name, the meaning of the name. I have been a stranger in a strange land. Now, if you have a Bible and you want to make an underline or you have a highlighter, this is the good part to underline or highlight. I have been. Everybody say, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Uh, Say it again. I've been a stranger in a strange land. I wonder if someone could say with me, I am a stranger in a strange land. I'll try not to labor long, but I feel compelled to speak tonight on this verse. And I thought that I would title this kind of how I feel out of touch (laughs) Amen, you may be seated It's our way of life, comfortable living, that then then materializes into a train of thought. Maybe the, the time in which we live has caused us to think different thoughts about the scripture. Maybe they look distant. I confess that it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around a life of bondage where freedoms are not available and liberties are never considered. But if we could see it, and I know it's difficult, but if we could see it, in its reality, then we would see that Egypt held the children of Israel in a generational bondage. The only thing that's relatable in the world today is the generational imprisonment that occurs in North Korea. Where if you are caught doing something against the state. Not only are you and your wife in prison, but then up to three generations grow up in jail. Your father may die. Your grandfather may die. But you will still serve out their sentence. Mm. This is nothing short of a bondage of slavery. Egypt did more than just conscript the Israelites to work, to build. They caused affliction on them, suffering, pain, undue hardship. A couple of family might have children. They would raise their children in this bondage and then their children and then they would follow suit. 430 years later, it was from age to age. It's the ongoing struggle under the heavy hand of the pharaohs. All of them in succession, one and then another, and then the next. In context, if I read the scripture, Joseph will have lived and then died 
and the Egyptian hierarchy who once lauded over him, they will perish also. No one then will remember the great deeds of Joseph, how he saved the nation. And in his place of help came distrust. For Jacob's children had grown exponentially. A new pharaoh will rise to power. He'll see the sheer numbers and he'll believe that the children of Israel are so great that they could overthrow the Egyptians. Maybe he was right. So he imprisoned them. He treated them as servants and even less than servants. And furthermore, he wanted to limit their numerical growth. So he commanded the midwives... To kill off all the baby boys. Now this was interesting. He did that because he did not want Israel to raise up an army. So he would kill the man child. It was in this environment that one of these women became pregnant with this child. and She had other children. But when this baby was born... This mama was unwilling to give him up to be slaughtered. So the Bible says that she hid the baby. She hid him. And finally, when she can hide him no longer, she took a chance. She made this basket, a little ark, if you will. And she covered it with pitch and then put some straw in it. And and then she put that baby in that basket and they released him down the same river that had swallowed up so many other little infants. His older sister is running beside the floating basket with her baby brother inside. And by the Nile's edge, it happened that the daughter of Pharaoh was there. And she found the child, and she named him Moses, for she drew him out of the water. Now, she didn't want to care for the baby. So she thought she would find a nursemaid, a mother, a woman, a mother from the Israelites to care for the son that she would call her own, Moses. It was a miracle. This miracle must have astounded the biological father of, of, of Moses, mother of Moses. Jochebed, his mama, the mother of Moses, was given the task to nurse her own baby, to teach her own child, to raise up her own son until the day that he could care for himself. Pharaoh's daughter even said, and I quote, I will pay you money. To do the job. Now pay close attention. Because the scripture that I read to you. Has everything to do with the handful of years. That Jochebed is given. To raise her own son. Moses will one day leave her. And Moses is one day. He's going to say. I've been a stranger in a strange land. That statement has everything to do with the small formative years that Jochebed is given to caring for her own son. But he's not going to come to that belief by himself. His mother is going to teach him something that will stand in opposition to everything that he will see in the house of Pharaoh, the king. The few years given to Jochebed is all that she has. She knows that one day the daughter of Pharaoh was coming for Moses and she has limited time, here pastor, to imprint the truth about God on his young mind and spirit. Scholars surmise, they argue about this, that maybe she has six years to keep him. Some tell us that she was given a full seven years before she is pressed to release Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. We cannot be quite sure of his age, but we do know that her time is limited. I'm asking you, if you were aware or knew that you had a handful of years to teach your sons and your daughters before they would be taken from you, you would never see them again. What would you want them to know? You have limited time. To teach your son or your daughter a truth, whatever it is. And then you will never see them again. What would you want them to know? I'm asking you. It has to be more than tying your shoes and making your bed and using good manners. All those are wonderful. Jochebed, it had to be more. She taught Moses the most important things in life. He heard about Abraham and about Isaac and about Jacob. He was taught that all the gods of wood and 
and gold were dead. They were nothing. He was taught history of Israel and about the God of the God of Jehovah and their God, the God of Israel. He knew about Noah, the great flood, the Tower of Babel, the day that Abraham led his only son Isaac on an altar on Mount Moriah. He knew about that. Jochebed fed Moses a full diet of Yahweh. She taught him about the only true God and it lasted for four decades long. And if you take a moment to read second chapter of Exodus, then you'll note that Exodus chapter 2 verse 10 and Exodus chapter 2 verse 11 is separated by 40 years. We jump ahead 40 years. That's the day when Moses could not stay hidden any longer. He saw the oppression of his own people and in his intemperate manner, he lashed out an Egyptian soldier that was beating down one of his Hebrew brothers. And suddenly, Moses was caught. He was found out. He exposed his loyalty and it cost him his place in the palace. When the Pharaoh found out, the Bible says that the current Pharaoh sought to kill Moses because Moses had killed an Egyptian soldier and everybody was talking about it. They knew what Moses had done. What they did not know was the internal conflict in his heart that was nothing short of a war in his mind, in his spirit, every day for 40 years. It was a conflict of unspeakable proportions. He lived, ladies and gentlemen, he lived with a counterbalance. For every despicable and immoral Egyptian ceremony, the counterbalance was the voice of his godly mother who must have told him, our God is a holy God. And for every Egyptian god of stone and god of metal, of silver and gold and of, and of, and of wood, all of them would perish was the counterbalance of his mother who must have told him there's only one god and he's not a god made of stone or wood or rubble. He cannot be formed by a man's hand. And all the battle, Egyptians philosophies and vain concepts were at war with the distant memory and voice of his mother, Jacobet, who had very little time to teach him. He will never see himself as a stranger in a strange land without the counterbalance of his mama. If mama would have taught him anything else, he would have always fit in with the Egyptians. But his mother taught him something that made his entire life uncomfortable. Oh, Every time he looked at the Egyptians, he felt awkward. Every time he got into one of those ceremonies, he felt out of place. Every time he looked at everybody that was doing their things, their clothes, their lifestyle, their incense, their sacrifices, something kind of welled up inside of him because his mama had imprinted something on his life and on his spirit. And he was never, he was never comfortable. And he said, I have been a stranger. Which points to the fact that the whole time he didn't feel like he belonged. Had she never told him that, he would have fit in just fine. Mm-hmm. See, the imprint, whatever she taught him, was so strong, so powerful, so well-defined that it marked him. And I submit that there's no greater time to imprint truth on people than when they are children. The younger, ladies and gentlemen, the better. It's all right. You don't believe that yet. I'll indict myself here now. I cannot stand here and act like all is well. It's not. I'm saddened. My spirit's saddened. That we spend so much time teaching adults when we ought to be concentrating on children. If we spent more time teaching fundamental truth to children when they're young, when they're clay, when they can be molded, shaped, we would probably not have to deal with all the grown-up issues that we deal with today. I don't want to pastor a church for the moment. I want to pastor a church in my time. But when my time's over, I want this house to be founded, strong, sure. I don't want to build buildings, have revivals that just appease me. I want, if God tarries another 50 or 100 years and I'm gone and dead, you might forget about who I was and maybe nobody will be around. But I pray that there's an apostolic church on this corner preaching truth and having revival and baptizing people and people are getting the Holy Ghost. 
when Michael Eisner was the CEO of Disney, a young executive came to him and they looked out of the big window and they saw Disney World and all the advancements that had happened. And the young executive said to Mr. Eisner, said, Mr. Eisner, don't you wish Walt Disney could have seen this? And Disney and, and, and Eisner said to him, Walt Disney did see it. That's why it's here. My vision is not for the moment, but we're going to put something down that's going to outlast you and me. It's bigger than personality. It's bigger than, come on now, it's bigger than my own body. It's bigger than my own mind. We've got to build something for another generation. It's not about us. And I make this declaration to all the people. If we really want to pass this truth along, what we need to do is sign up to teach, help, and minister to the children. But if you don't want to, just come to church and soak it in and be like a sponge. Praise God. According to Barna Research Group, the average church focuses only 3% of its resources in children's ministry. In fact, the greatest portion of money, church ministries, focus, and effort around the country and all the churches revolve around ministering to people that are above the age of 35 years old. The Pentecostals are in this number because they've in, they've, they are engrossed in fixing mechanisms. They have fixing mechanisms for people. So adults come to church. This is the research group. So adults come to church. They want to be fed. But they're not interested in feeding. They want to be helped, but they're not interested in helping. And to bring up such a thing as teaching children invokes a rebuttal of various proportions. Maybe not verbally, but this, because this is nothing new. It happens all the time. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says they brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them. But his disciples rebuked those that brought him because that's what grown up men and women do. They think children do not matter. To the Lord. Because grown-ups think they matter more than the babies. Here's verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said to them, let the children come. What the church often sees as immature and foolishness and a lot of work, Jesus sees an open window to implant his divine truth. Let me just tell you this. In 2018, there were about 20 million children in America under the age of 4 years old. From 5 years old to 11 years old, there were about 28.5 million. If we consider those between 12 years old and 14 years old, there's another 12.5 million. So under the age of 14, last year they counted, there were about 61 million children. And somewhere between the ages of 13 and 14, mostly 14, they will have decided whether they're going to believe in God, what their moral views are going to be, what their moral compass is going to be, whether or not they're going to attend what kind of church before they're 14. In Terre Haute, about 19 to somewhere between 19 and 22 percent of our population in Terre Haute, which measures a little over 60,000 people, between, between 19 and 20, 22, 23 percent, that age group is about 15 years and younger. Can you imagine? We can have an explosive Holy Ghost revival if we just got the children who will believe whatever you say. It's no wonder why the law gave such credence to training a child to speak to them about God when they rise and in the afternoon. Here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command these day shall be in thine heart. Here it is. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. You're going to talk about them when you're sitting down and when you're walking and when you lie down and when you rise up and you're going to bind them for a sign upon your hand. There shall be as frontless between your eyes. Write them on your post. Write them on your gates. Write them everywhere. If you want to raise up an apostolic church, it's time for us to get to the place where they grow up and know I'm a stranger. Where are they going to learn that? Huh? Oh. And I know that it may appear that this is all about kids, but in reality it's about perception. It's about what we think about ourselves. 
See, Jochebed put something in Moses that caused him to think about something that was different. He was thinking about himself. He knew he didn't belong in Egypt. He knew that was not, he was not one of them. His mother told him so. It, she told him so in his formative years and it manifested later in life because Moses is going to find himself in the house of Jethro. He's going to marry one of Jethro's daughters. She's going to give birth to a son and Moses is going to name that son Gershom. I have been. He's reflecting back all the time I was in Egypt. I was a stranger in a strange land. I knew I didn't belong there. And I know it's not just what you think about me. And of course, I would hope you would think well of me. It probably hurts my feelings more times than not when people don't. But there's something more important than how you see me. What's more important is how I see me. Ah. Don't take me wrong. I'm concerned about our community's perception about us. How the saints see the ministry. I got it. But what's more important about how you see me is about is how I see me. I'm following the Lord. I'm seeking to get better and do better. Yes, I, I'd like to advance more in the word and prayer. I want all that stuff. But what really matters is how I perceive myself. Because the way I see myself is going to determine how I live. My self-perception is leading my way of life. If I am comfortable with just enough... And then there's no yearning. If I'm comfortable, there's no hunger. And I'll have no passion. If I'm apathetic to the things of God, then for certain I will treat the things of God carelessly and flippant. If I see myself as insufficient, then I will be insufficient. If I see myself as a stranger in this world, I will never be comfortable in this world. I wish you could start to see yourself as a stranger in a strange land. Moses saw himself as a stranger long before he named his son Gershom. In fact, Gershom came after the fact. That's why he said, I've been a stranger. Gershom gave revelation that Jochebed had done her job. If mama does her job, the man will live uncomfortable in this world. But if mama neglects the lesson, then the man will blend in. And we are the mama. Come on, mama. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. The mother of us all. We are the mother. We are the bride. The people are birthed in this house. I want us all to have this self-perception. We are strangers in this world. We're not trying to break in. We're trying to break out. We're not trying to fit in. We're trying to be like Jesus. I hope you can hear this now. Because it's very important for us. We've got to change our thought. We've got to change our thought to helping and being in the ministry to help the children. So that when they get a little older, they'll always be uncomfortable in the world. I want our kids to go to college and always feel at odds with their worldly, secular professors. I want our young people to say, man, I felt really odd about it. I felt real strange about it. I want our grown-ups to say, I don't belong in this world. I'm working in it, but I don't belong in it. I'll tell you where that happens. We got to imprint right now. We got to do our business right now. Because I'm watching grown-ups struggle with blending in. And I want to say, you got to stop blending in. You got to see yourself in a new light. You are a stranger in a strange land. I'm out of touch. It wasn't just the Midianites that drove Gideon to hide in a wine press. Yeah, they were a forceful people, but it wasn't just them. It wasn't hunger that caused him to climb inside that open vat where grapes were once pressed. It was his self-perception. Something greater than fear led him to that low place. Something greater than death moved him to hide in that wine press. He saw himself as nothing. That's why he got in. Think of it. Threshing wheat 
without wind always leaves chaff in the mix. Everything tastes bad when you don't get the chaff out. The bread is littered with hardness, unchanged fill. It's hard to chew it. You can't really swallow it. But there he was hiding in a wine press, holding on to a remnant of himself. And it wasn't until the angel of the Lord came to call him that Gideon revealed the real problem. The angel said, you are going to lead a revolt against the enemy, the Midianites. You're going to save them. And, and, Gideon, and Gideon uncovered the root of his discontent. Gideon said, oh, wait a second. I'm the least of the least. I come from the smallest tribe, and I'm the least of my own family. How can I save anybody? Here's what Judges 6.15 says. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the reason why people are powerless has nothing to do with their ability. It has to do with how they see themselves. I hope you can feel this because I feel it in my bones tonight. I feel it moving through my spirit. See, the difference between the wine press where Gideon was hiding and the field of battle where he prevailed was self-perception. God said, you are a mighty man of valor. I'm standing here to tell somebody, you are a mighty lady and a mighty man of valor. Get up. Get up. Lift your head up. You ought to have authority in the Holy Ghost. The problem is your self-perception. Maybe it's because we're very comfortable in this world. See, until you believe that, that God is true and that he's calling you out and he's giving you power, you're always going to be hiding. Until you believe that you have the power and authority and purpose, you'll always be waffling and struggling and wandering. I found this out. My perception of you comes from your perception of you. Tell somebody that you're a believer and instinctively they'll treat you like a believer. Tell them that you're born again and you're a born again spirit filled believer. <sighs> Baptized in Jesus name. They're going to hold you to it. But until you give voice to what you see, you'll be battling your fleshly nature from now until Jesus comes. I say until you feel out of place in this world, you're never going to be out of place. you got to start feeling out of place to be out of place. Worldliness, ladies and gentlemen, begins when you feel like you belong. You're not helping me here tonight. That's okay, I'm going to preach this. I wish I had some apostolic somewhere littered around this house. You could just say, woo. All right, that's it. Worldliness and godliness begins when you are content with the precepts and concepts of this world. But if you will ever look at yourself and say, I'm a stranger and I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not comfortable here. I'm out of touch and I don't, and I'm happy about it. That's the moment you begin to break free from the chains that bind you to a sinful lifestyle. I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia. <laughs> It was in the olden days, 1986. <laughs> and I met a whole bunch of guys. Didn't know anything about Jesus. Didn't care anything about who I was. And immediately, I felt out of place. And I was, I was in the big rec center playing racquetball. And a, and a girl walked up to me and started talking to me. <laughs> and she was coming on to me, I guess you could say. I was dumb. I didn't even know what was happening. All I knew was I was feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> I was uncomfortable. I'll tell you why I was uncomfortable. Because around my table, my mother and my father put something inside of me that when I left the table and I got with people that were not like the Lord, something began to work in my brain. Had it not been that uncomfortable feeling, no, only Lord knows where I'd have ended up today or that night. All I knew was I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I just don't belong here. Here's Titus chapter 1, 
For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. There are some people, even in the church, that talk vain. He was talking about the Jews. Some people of the circumcision. They got tradition, but they don't have Jesus. They got religion, they got no relationship. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households. Can you imagine? People in the church would drive out entire households. Teaching things they ought not. For filthy lucre's sake, one of them, even a prophet of their own, said, The Christians are always liars, evil boasts, slow bellies, that's lazy people. This witness is true, Titus writes. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, he says, all things are pure. I wonder, are we getting every joke? But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. Hey mama, how about putting something inside of us that when we're around the world or we hear something, it makes us cringe. Or as one writer wrote years ago, there's a death of outrage. Nobody is outraged anymore. I went to a store. Tammy and I walked in a store. And I looked over. I thought there was a lady. It was not a lady. It was a man. He had long hair. He had red fingernail polish. And a couple other things. And I was aghast. It, I felt uncomfortable. All oh, those co-workers are just... I don't know her, I don't know, they, they were just walking around. I wasn't trying to be rude, I, I just couldn't stop staring. Damien elbowed me and said, stop looking over there. I got behind her so she couldn't see me. I was messed up. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I'm wondering what in the world. I don't know. Does, are you comfortable? I'm sorry. I'm not comfortable. I have not evolved. Something's still wrong with a 250-pound man wearing high heels and red fingernail polish. I know this is not going to fly, and I think there's going to be a time I'm going to be sued for this, but I just want to stand up and say, I'm a stranger in a strange land, and some things are an abomination to God, and I don't care what anyone says. Hey. I'll tell you how we can really have revival. I'm going to tell you how we can really have revival. We get in those classrooms. We, we, we love on those babies. We grow up our children in the Lord. We tell them about what's right and what's wrong. We do not let the public school system or Hollywood or the media tell them what's right or wrong. We teach them in our homes and we teach them at the church. And I'll tell you what's going to happen in about 15 years from now when we're all a little wore out. There's going to come a great, powerful Holy Ghost revival like you've never seen in this city because we have imprinted. I'll tell you what I want for your little boy, Wes. I want him to be a powerful man of God. I want him to be bold in the Holy Ghost. I want him to be able to have a testimony to say, I started out rough in my health, but God carried me through, and I'm not going to quit praising God. I'll tell you how that's going to happen. You love the Lord. You imprint on him. You only have a few years. I want all of our Sunday school teachers and Sunday school helpers to stand up. I want all of our bus drivers to stand up. I want everybody that washes dishes and serves the kids on Sunday morning to stand up. I want everybody that's involved in anything with the children's ministry on Wednesday night to stand up or any other part of the children's ministry. Wait, wait. That's not enough. That's not enough. We don't have enough room in our 
in our kids' worship centers and in our Sunday school classrooms for all the children. I know what this is. This is Thanksgiving weekend. But now on our normal Sundays, Ryan and Amanda are telling us that the numbers are, are very close to all of our Easter numbers of years gone by. And I'm saying we need to double that. Because we need to put our thumbprint of the apostolic faith on another 165 children. Keep standing. I want to mess up the cafe. I'm going to mess you up now. Because if you didn't go to Brother Foster's class, and you're not helping with the kids in the Sunday school, you're missing out. You're missing out. I'll tell you what we need. We need another 10 buses. We need to bus as many kids into this house as we can until they take the sanctuary over and we all the adults got to find a place to worship God because we don't have enough room for the kids and the adults. Listen, I think you can make it, but you're going to have to make a choice whether or not you're going to live in the world or whether or not going to live out of the world. you got to decide whether or not you're a stranger in a strange land. But I know one thing, while you're making up your mind, I cannot stop but look at the children and say, we've got to put something in them so that when the day comes, they always feel uncomfortable. Maybe seated. Tammy, we've been married almost 25 years. Thank you. <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> Just in case <laughs> you said thank you in return. And we decided to go to a Japanese restaurant on our honeymoon. But we never really ate that real Japanese. I just thought it was kind of neat to eat it. And they came in, and they said, okay, we're going to lead you to your room. And you took your shoes off, and you sat on the floor. Now, already, I was not happy about it. I was uncomfortable. I want you to do that, Brother Hammond. Take Sister Hammond to a Japanese restaurant. And then when you get there, Brother Hammond, make sure you push that button. I've fallen and I can't get up. Because, man, you get down in that. They got cushion, Brother Hammond. They got cushions around the table. And you kind of sink down in that. You kind of roll out. And I knew I was, I picked the wrong restaurant. But I put on my game face because it's our honeymoon. And I wanted her to think I'd planned this. And they brought us, we didn't even really know what to order. And we, and they brought us the food. And we just, we had soup. And then we said, maybe we should have some more soup. And then I ordered all this stuff. She didn't like any of it. I never learned my lesson. We went to London and we decided to eat at, a, at, at an Indian restaurant. I got the prawns. And she didn't have anything because she's already been to the Japanese restaurant and she knew we didn't belong there. I don't even like curry. See, when you get in a place, you ought to instinctively know, mm, this is not me. This ain't me. This ain't where I belong. You ought to know what you're listening to and what you're seeing and where you're going and who you're with. You ought to instinctively say, I don't belong there. That's not who I am. I don't believe that. I'm looking for some strangers. I'm wondering if there's any strangers that say, I don't belong in this world. I'm out of touch. I'm almost done. Of course, I love that Titus didn't leave us empty-handed. But here's the next one to Titus. It ended with this 
thought of people that profess, that are impure. Their conscience is defiled. But then he says, but speak thou the things, verse 1, which become sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Do it so that the aged men can be sober. Not frivolous, grave, temperate. They got their they got their emotions in control. They're sound in faith and in love and they're patient men. If you speak sound doctrine, you're going to provoke the aged ladies that they may behave as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, and they're teachers of good things. That's what we want. So that they, in return, can teach the younger women how to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children, and to be discreet and chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, show thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about you. That's a directive for the church. And let me tell you where it starts. Sound doctrine. I'm going to tell you, I don't relate. I ain't relating to all the stuff that's going on in the world. I don't relate. I don't have to relate to all that mess. I, I don't relate to it. I don't get it. it I'm, I'm outraged. I don't get it. Surely the people of God don't get it. I'm a stranger. They don't. It bothers me. I'm not comfortable. Some places we just can't go. We walked in the mall and I heard my wife say it again. Turn your head, boys. Bounce your eyes. Victoria's lost her secret. I don't get it. It's commonplace, but it shouldn't be. The Bible says that in the last days they would not endure sound doctrine. Well, if they don't endure sound doctrine, all the things that we want will never materialize. Because sound doctrine is the beginning point of stability. Amen. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to have children's church all the time. It may not look like much at first. But just wait 10 years. Wait, wait a second, wait a second. Little Zachary Jr. Going to be speaking in tongues. Shouting and praising God. Because that's what we're working on. He ain't even here yet. We already know what he's going to be. He's going to be a one God, apostolic tongue, talking, born again, Holy Ghost believer in the liberating power of Jesus' name. And Chris and Amy and Grant and Sierra and Charles and Samantha have three boys. There's one boy each. There's three boys there. And the collective weight. (laughs) These guys are massive. These guys are huge. And I don't... Does anyone... Do you have, are they a year? How old is, my dear God. He's like a, he's like a bowling ball. Massive guy. He's a massive guy. And, 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 and how, eight months, holy cow. He's already eating steak with a knife. Help me now. He turned two. He's already had dozens of haircuts and a perm. I'm looking for three big men to be at the altar worshiping God. And you better get out of their way. 
because you're going to be looking like Holy Ghost filled linemen, defensive backs. <laughs> I'm asking for you mamas to imprint on your babies so that when they get older, they're going to say, I don't belong in that world. I belong in the church. I'm out of touch and I'm happy about it. Come on, clap your hands, clap your hands, clap your hands. Come help me, I'm done. for sound doctrine. I'm praying for an imprint. Please stand with me now. I, I want to ask you, what good is new life if we don't have anything to hand off to the next generation? What good have we done? What if good have we done? I want those children to walk in this house. I want them to be loved. I want them to know that if the world mistreats them, that the one place they were loved and not judged and not condemned was when they came to new life. And I know what's going on, this massive drug-infested place. I know what's going on. But I'm not going to take it out on the children. Because when I saw them and I turned to look after Brother Foster got done praying in morning man, I turned to look and I watched those children walk in the door. And I saw the crew just... They were just ready. There was fruit loops. And there was milk and there was egg burritos. And you might think that's silly. I want to tell you, that may have been more important right there than anything else that happened this entire week. You bus drivers, when you go out and pick up those kids and you have to get to the church early, I just want you to know you might be saving an entire family. You might be saving an entire generation. In fact, somebody on your bus route is going to have a Holy Ghost revival and dozens of families are going to be saved because we put our imprint on them now. And if we put sound doctrine on them, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, the resurrection, the death, the burial, the resurrection, obeying the death, the burial, the resurrection, that we have to repent of our sins. That Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is the promise of the Father. And when people receive the Holy Ghost, they speak in other tongues. When they get that, that they're never going to be comfortable going to a place that's worldly and ungodly they're going to say it doesn't feel right here it doesn't feel right and they're going to look back and say I remember that church I was only there for a little bit see Flo Hoopengarner spent two or three four weeks when John Young was just a little boy and she brought him to Home Avenue, New Life Tabernacle. This is where the church was on Home Avenue way before my time and brought him there. And I firmly believe that something was imprinted on him in a matter of a few weeks so that when he needed to make a move and he drug his wife all around town said, let's go visit all the places. And she'd walk out of a church and say, is that it, John? Is that where we're going? No, no, that's not it. It doesn't have, it's good, but it's not the right place. And then they went to the next place. Is that it? Is that it? Are we going to go there? I like that. And John said, no, 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 no. I don't think that's it. I think and they got on the parking lot. And when they got on this parking lot, Amber said, I don't think we should go in there. Look at those people. 
John said, well, let's just try it out. And the first Sunday morning, and when they left, John said, she said, is that it, John? And he said, that's it. I don't know what this is, but this is it. See, we might be planting seeds that won't grow up for many years. What you don't know is you think your kids don't have a chance or you think they're far from God. What you don't know is that God can put someone in their path. You don't know. He can put someone in their path and that friend can do what you would never be able to do. And that friend will say, you know what? We need something. And I remember of a place where on Sunday night they used to shout and worship and there was something about it. It was a real thing. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. You ought to say I'm out of touch and I'm happy about it. I'm a stranger in a strange land. Put some meat on these bones now for all of you potential children's ministries, teachers and workers. I want you to be obedient to the Lord and go to Ryan and tell Ryan Wallace whatever you want me to do. If he says you need to stay with the pastor for a moment, don't get offended. Because believe it or not, he's got some wisdom. And he exercises that wisdom every Sunday morning and every Wednesday. But if he says, okay, I'm going to put your name down. I got a place for you. Now, it might be washing dishes. Is that too, is that too low for you? Amen. Praise God, we're doing good now. Because you know what I'm praying? I'm going to pray. At the end of this prayer, I'm going to pray. Because it's almost 2020. We're going to have a prayer for a revival to break out in 2030. I'm looking ahead. If the Lord doesn't come, I want to have a revival 10 years from now that started December 1st, 1999. Amen. Because... My instincts tell me that those three boys, the linebackers, at 10 years old, I'm going to be taller than 80% of the people in this house. Not me, because I'm on the platform. (laughs) And I'm ready for them to shout and worship God. I'm ready. I'm ready for us to have a Holy Ghost revival way off in the future. I want Jochebed to rise up. Come on, Jochebed, rise up. Come on, Jochebed. Come on, Jochebed. Come on, Mama. Come on, Mama. We got a work to do. Lift your hand right now in the name of Jesus, I pray. Let there be a revival in the future based upon what we're doing with children and with young people this very day. I pray in the name of Jesus, let us get a burden to imprint sound doctrine on everybody that we come in contact with, Lord. Remove from us selfishness. Help us to be uncomfortable with this world. Help us to consider things impure. Help us to stand aghast at what the world is promoting, Lord. And let us come back to a life of purity and holiness and godliness, I pray. Ryan, I want you to run up here. Come here, Ryan. I know this is off the cuff. I want you to say something to everybody. I don't know what you're going to say. I just feel led that you ought to say something here. Come on, this is a man of God. This is a man of God who works at this church, loves your children, loves this work. How many years Amanda and I have been blessed to work with some of the most incredible teachers, Sunday school, youth, 
But I believe that our church is an anchor in our community. We're a light, we're a lighthouse. Whether this building's big enough, or the next one, whether we want to go to multiple services, multiple bus routes, we got to do what we got to do because we can look around and see everything that we materially have or the things that we would, you know, count as blessings. But the, 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 the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And just coming into this place and lifting up our hands and worshiping the God that saved our soul, that changed our family. I'm so thankful. It's just our reasonable service. It's our reasonable service to love on another child or a young person, on a mother, a father, a family. It's our reasonable service. I'm so thankful for Pastor, how you've imprinted my life. Knowing that there might be a chance that I might imprint your son's life, Jerry. That I might imprint a boy that's hungry on Saturday night. Can't wait for Brother Joe to pick him up on the church bus. That the that the teachers say he needs to be medicated because he don't behave, he don't sit still. Well, I didn't sit still. Crying Ryan didn't sit still. If you don't believe me, Sister Autumn used to hold me down and make me sit still in the basement of the North Campus when I was 10 years old. But I'm so thankful for sound doctrine. I'm so thankful for this place to share the Holy Ghost and to share God's love to everybody. So thankful that when we plead the blood of Jesus on every child, whether they got bright, shiny shoes or a muddy, dirty coat, they might look the part, may not look the part, but we just plead the blood and know that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can even ask or think according to the power that works in us. If that power that works in us is the Holy Ghost, then we can do anything. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I'm so thankful. Because how many of us know that we are overcomers by the word of our testimony like the youth sang tonight? We're overcomers by the word of our testimony. So, the Lord's good. The Lord is good. The field is full. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. The harvest is white. The fields are full. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Oh, send forth labor. Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Exposure breeds a burden. Exposure breeds a burden. Brother Shields, Brother Joe, 
going and picking up those kids, that's going to bring a burden. Open up yourself to that. It will breed a burden. That you'll wonder about those children come Monday, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. So the harvest is there. The harvest is here. <laughs> the harvest is here. We can do it. I love everybody. A future perception depends on what we do right now here tonight. Their future perception. So I'm calling for everybody who wants to do a work for God and you in earnest want to step out of your pew and out of your seat and say, I'm here tonight because I'm going to do something for the Lord. I'm going to imprint on somebody. Just walk up to the front quickly and get as close as you can to the front and lift up your hearts and your hands and your voices and say, use me, Lord. I'm here to be used. And Ryan, I just want you to, I want you just to pray for everybody. Just, you can walk around and pray for folks if you want to. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, lift it up to the Lord. Lift it up to the Lord.